sounds dry and simplistic, but the script from Lauren Shuker Bloom and Rebecca Angelo is vivid and visceral and somehow brings the stultifying grimness of that central pandemic time block back to painful life. That's Kevin Marr of the Times UK talking about Dumb Money, which is our featured review this week. In addition to that, our old movie is The Irishman. I touched on it the other day saying I'd watch it again. I said, you know, we got to get my man Adam Amin on. Of course, he's the star on Fox Sports. He's their number three NFL guy, number two baseball guy. He'll be calling the Astros playoff series. He just called the Bengals game. Uh, he's also the voice of the Chicago Bulls, which he does like 90% of their games. So he's incredibly busy. But I said, let me get him now before basketball season starts. And uh, we'll shake, rattle, and roll. You're really going to enjoy Adam. He's funny. He's smart. He's observant. And he loves the Irishman as much as me, which is uh, maybe <laughs> tough to do. That'll be our old movie and our wild card. As always, please go to Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Chris Cody on assignment. He is covering Heat Media Day today. So he said to me, listen, we, we got to move the day here. Mondays I can't do because of football season. And now basketball is starting. So next week, we'll start recording Tuesdays and release Wednesday. This is the third and final week without the voice of Chris Cody. Thanks, as always, uh, to all of our listeners. Uh, again, Brian Helgeland, I thought was fantastic. Hopefully that film will be out at least on Paramount Plus and theaters soon. Finest kind. Enjoyed his stories about Tommy Lee Jones and others. And of course, LA Confidence, which is an all-time classic. I probably should do that for uh, old movies, which is obviously fantastic. Um, but again, I appreciate all the support of Cinephile and hope people have gone back and watched a little JFK or some of the latest movies that we've been discussing. Maybe Last Tango in Paris. Thanks to Scott Regalis, who absolutely killed it. And uh, as promised in the pot, I said I would buy something from Quiz Daddies. And so I delivered Randall Cunningham jersey, 125 bucks. Rags is for 90 and free shipping. He threw in a couple of old cards, Jose Canseco sticker. That'll go well in my kid's backpack. I think it's aged pretty well. Yeah, there's the guy that wrote Juiced, <clears throat> took down the entire sport. All good. Uh, so thanks to Rags. And again, go to Quiz Daddy's HQ, Quiz Daddy's headquarters. You can go buy stuff. Perfect timing. Took two of my boys to the Eagles game on Sunday. So I got, I wore my Cunningham jersey just to see of Kelly Green. I mean, that, that bright green Eagles jersey, fantastic. Just for Scott Spinelli, I'll, uh, who is Rags, uh, Scott and I went to. The seller, just for him, I'll itemize my day. Tickets, $276 a piece. And that's row 16 upper tank. Surprisingly hot, 75 degrees and sunny, which I love. I love the great weather. But when you're sitting in a football game for three and a half hours and the sun is baking on you, it got a little hot. You had to get some Rita's. Rita's fantastic. That's another 11 bucks. No, $31. $31, excuse me. And that was a good 20-minute wait at halftime. Parking's 45 bucks. Two-hour drive to Philly, but it takes about over an hour just to get out of the parking lot at the end of the game, which now I understand why people just leave in the fourth quarter, even though it was in a hell of a game. God, it was stressful. Thank God we pulled through in overtime. I would have murdered somebody. And then souvenirs. Can't go a game and not get souvenirs. My boy Shaz is like, come on. He's wearing a LaShawn McCoy jersey, which was Yusuf's old jersey. I got to get my own jersey, Dad. Okay, fine. Uh, what do you want? Darius Slay. Wow. A rare six-year-old who wants a Darius Slay jersey. We have no Darius Slay jerseys. Okay, how about Hassan Reddick? No Hassan Reddick's Not kid size. Kid size, Devontae Smith or AJ Brown. Again, surprise. He went with Devontae Smith. 90 bucks there. Yusuf wanted to Brian Dawkins plaque. I'm like, this is well before your time, but I appreciate it. You can appreciate it. An all time great safety. That's 50 bucks. But little boy Ma Maz, I had to get him a uh, Eagles mascot swoop, benefiting the Eagles Autism Foundation. So basically, it was 1200 bucks. There you go. Tickets, parking, tolls on the turnpike. Don't forget the tolls there. Still no car. Had to use a rental car. So I had to pay cash. Rather than the easy pass, just just getting drilled up and down here. But fly goes fly. We win. Hell of a game. Great experience. Go support the NFL and go listen to Adam and me and call NFL games. Still cheaper, by the way, than Back to the Future. And as I said to Yusuf, let, let's. What do, you, what do you rank Back to the Future? Scale one to ten. He goes seven. What did you rank the Seagulls game? Nine. Okay, there you go. And that was a twelve hundred and forty-two dollar experience. We still save forty-two bucks. And. 
this is how great my kids are. They go, you know what, Dad? We don't do this again. I'm like, really? They're like, well, not for a couple of years. My like, yeah, guy, fantastic. We just want to see one Eagles game in Philly. We know, like, sitting on the couch. That's always fun, too. We can see what the other games are, fantasy football. I get all that stuff, although I hate fantasy. We're good, Dad. We'll do it again in a couple of years. Although I'm going in a couple of weeks. Jets. Shout out to Kathy Leagrand hooking me up. Jets season ticket holder. Giving me her tickets. Incredibly generous. So I'm going to take young Shaz to that game, which would have been amazing. Imagine Rodgers versus Hurts instead. I hope, I hope, I hope we crush him here in the Meadowlands about 30 minutes from my house. All right. That was my week. The seller, listen, Spinelli is funnier than the seller this past week. It wasn't great. But maybe that's good news because I was giving the seller so much hype. People are going to go see it all the time. They're going to have to get tickets. Hey, show wasn't as good this time. Ignore it. Go do something else with your lives. And then we'll go back and uh, go back and enjoy some yucks. Speaking of yucks, dumb money in theaters this weekend. Had to go check it out. Excellent cast. Paul Dano in the lead performance. Pete Davidson, who I don't care for because he just outkicks his coverage all the time. So it just angers me. Like, how's this guy getting, you know, Kim Kardashian, Ariana Grande? And as an actor, I don't think he's great. I love Apatow. You guys all know that. But I, I thought King of Staten Island, where the hell it was called, that, that's probably Apatow's worst movie. And I don't think Davidson can carry the movie. It was disappointing. But in the supporting character, a guy playing himself just smokes weed and is like a real bro with his kicks and his hoodies. I'm like, yeah, then Pete Davidson's tolerable. The guy I love is Vincent D'Onofrio, one of my favorite character actors for a long time. He plays Steve Cohen. And how do you know that? Because he's wearing a Mets hat. I'm like, yes, that's got to be Steve Cohen. Who is this hedge fund guy worth $12 billion wearing a Mets cap? That is Steve Cohen. He's awesome. Always worth the price of admission. Vincent D'Onofrio. Other offs, you see uh, good members of the cast. America Ferreira does a nice job. Shailene Woodley playing Paul Dano's wife. Overall, a strong cast for a story, which I didn't know a ton about, even though I lived it. Because I'm just not very smart when it comes to these things. Finances, I don't understand. I don't understand the markets. So I'm going in worried that I'm really going to you know, not be able to follow the movie. But thankfully, I, I followed enough of it. When his social posts start blowing up, so does his life and the lives of everyone following him. As the stock tip becomes a movement, everyone gets rich until the billionaires fight back on both sides, find the world's turned upside down. Still jarring to think because now COVID is making a comeback. The movie starts out, they're all wearing masks and stuff. Like, oh yeah, that was nuts. And everyone was wearing masks all the time. You couldn't see their faces ever. What are they all hiding? And Paul Dano, and yes, I keep emphasizing Dano because everyone always thinks it's pronounced Dano. And then I made sure I read an article in the Hollywood Reporter, which it said rhymes with Drano. So it is actually pronounced Dano. Really good actor. Okay? I loved him in The Will Be Blood, of course. Him and Daniel Day Lewis going head to head. And uh, does a nice job being this guy who's an outsider. He also rocks the hoodie and a toque, as we call it, north of the border. Goes online, tells people, I just like the stock. I like GameStop. And it becomes a movement. Everyone starts buying the stock. The price is going up. This causes the hedge fund people to start losing their minds. Like D'Onofrio. And like what I didn't mention, one of Chris Cody's favorites, Seth Rogen, who's very good in the movie, playing a dramatic role. He plays Gabe Plotsky, whose role gets completely turned upside down. I'm still shocked at Seth Rogen, how skinny he is now. It's just, it's just a little bit jarring. It doesn't make sense. Like, why is he so skinny? It's like when Jonah Hill got skinny. It didn't make sense. I'm like, I like them better when they're bigger. Anyways, he's one of the guys who's losing his mind. Nick Offerman. Also, what is it, Parks and Rec? One of those shows. He's also in the film playing uh, more of a dramatic role. Anthony Ramos, former guest here on Cinephile. He plays an employee working at GameStop. I told you this cast is fantastic. Love him. He's all in the Mets. What are his thoughts on Buck Schultz losing his job? Regardless, Dano buys the stock, starts pissing the hedge funds off. What happens when they're David versus Goliath? He gets called on a subpoena. Although, again, because it was during COVID, didn't actually go to Congress. And he got to relive the entire tale. Again, as a guy who doesn't really understand this world, I thought Craig Gillespie, the director, who I'd recently mentioned, I, Tanya, Craig Gillespie directed it. I thought he did a very effective job of trying to explain it in as simplistic a manner as possible. The movie, therefore, I'm giving three Maple Leafs. It's enjoyable and funny and I thought vivid. 
How about the music? A lot of Megan the Stallion. Savage is very good. They do a TikTok sequence of that. And that other song, all them hoes in this house, all them hoes in this house. Got to use some hip hop wherever you can, just for the juxtaposition of all these rich white people losing their minds. Ultimately, I enjoyed Dumb Money. Not as good as The Big Short, but kind of had reminded me of The Big Short in terms of irreverence and seeing the rich being the rich bastards that they are and the little guys trying to one-up them. Dumb Money, Three Maple Leafs. The furthest thing from Dumb Money is our special guest. What a pleasure bringing Adam Amin. He's one of my dearest friends, and he's a huge fan of Cinephile. Let's give you his bio because he's an incredible sportscaster. He joined Fox Sports in June of 2020. He won't like the designation, but it's true. He's Fox MLB's number two baseball guy. So, hey, man, something happens to Joe Davis. Nothing serious, just like COVID or something. Adam Amin is calling the World Series. He's also the number three NFL guy with Mark Schlereth, which is why he just called the Bengals game of the week. And what's going on with Joe Burrow? We'll get to that in just a second. Previously worked at ESPN, which is where we became buddies from 2011 to 2020. Uh, our relationship forged over a couple of ginger ales in Atlanta when he was calling a Braves game. By the way, he's also the television player play announcer for the Chicago Bulls, one of the most iconic teams in all of sport. And it's not like he's doing 40 games. He's the voice. He's clumping out 70, 75 games. So he's incredibly busy, but I wanted to get him because he's a huge fan of the Irishman. And I know before basketball season starts, we can uh, try to work him into the rotation here. So whenever people ask me, what's Adam Amin like? I go, honestly, he's a better version of me. He is also the son of Pakistani immigrants. He's also Muslim. He's also short, uh, but he's incredibly talented and he's very generous and gracious. And nobody says a bad word about this guy. He's got three older brothers, but at least for me, I consider him like a little brother of my own here in the business. So without further ado, Adam Amin joins us now. After that glowing introduction, I now need to puncture his ego by bringing up the fact that whenever I go on social media, I'm more times often than not disgusted by what I'm saying. But when, when I see his Instagram videos of him DJing, I, I just I, I'm absolutely delighted. I'm like, I did not realize we got David Guetta here calling games for Fox. You're, you're just pumping up the house music. I saw like seven stories posted this weekend. Tell me about this, because like for a guy who's as busy as you are, I'm pretty stunned. I'm like, he has time on a Saturday night just to go just go DJ. Tell me about this. I, mean, it, I did this from the time I was 20 basically 13 when one of my as the aforementioned older brothers bought me a pair of turntables like real turntables and i had to go out and buy vinyl at like chicago house record shops to to be able to play uh i started doing djing all like the homecoming and like the uh like all the events in the lead up to like the final month of school so like the school would pay me to hang out in the cafeteria and dj and like i wouldn't have to go to class so that was great. I did events that basically helped pay my first year of college. I did it while I was in college. And then when I moved to Iowa, I did it a little bit as well when I worked at a small radio station. I stopped doing it when I started working at ESPN. Just stopped because I okay. again, you don't have time. So yeah. about five or six months ago, I was kind of hanging around and, and I had a little bit of downtime and I was kind of getting back into listening to more music again. And Naturally, I go back to house music being from Chicago. That's just something you naturally listen to. You're exposed to it often. And I have, you know, means and time and resources and connections, things that I did not have for most of my life. And it's like, all right, let's see if let's see if there's anything out there. And I, I met some people in the industry and reconnected with some people I hadn't talked to in a while. And all of a sudden, hey, do you want to come play this show on a, on a Saturday? Do you want to come play this show on a Friday? Do you want to do this? nightclub on a thursday and i was like <laughs> i don't care i hate going to clubs i do not like clubbing yeah, I, I, not, I, you never struck me as a clubby that's what i was like i, 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 I did it i went to like you know kind of meet yeah. people and like be a part of the scene so to speak i do not like 
clubbing, going to clubs as a patron. I love being there when I'm like a performer there. Like that's fun for me that that, because that's what this job is too, broadcasting or performing. So it's just, it's more of a performance thing than anything else. And you have to prepare and you have to know your stuff and you have to be able to execute it in front of a large audience. And that's what it is. It's the same stuff. It's, it's, there's, when you, when you lay it out like that, the blueprint for it makes all the sense in the world, even though knowing me, you'd probably be like, this makes no sense. No, it makes I like how are you comparing this to like a game you call with Mark Schlereth? I'm like, there's no way. This is a different <laughs> skill set entirely. And here's what people don't understand. When you become the voice of a team, you are a big deal in that city. In some ways, as you know, you're a bigger deal than a national voice, which sounds crazy to say, but I'm like, in Chicago, the Bulls, which are about as iconic a, a sports team as it gets within the sport, like if you said basketball iconic teams, I go Lakers, Celtics, Bulls, Knicks. So it's a top three team. Now in sure. Chicago, which is a massive sports town, Bears are probably number one, and you've called some Bears games as well. But Bulls are right there. The Cubs are right there. Like those are those yeah. are massive teams. The Blackhawks when they're rolling. So I would like I don't think you're getting mobbed when you go down the street, but people are giving you a head nod. Like yep, I know Adam Aminias. I've seen him before. Like people in your building now know who you are. So if you're doing a house part to be like, I, I just can't imagine the reaction <laughs> if you're just one as you go. Is that the voice of the Bulls? I'm like I think get yeah, that. He just called the Astros division series <laughs> and now he's like playing house music. It's crazy. No, that's, that's what it is. That's what that's, I think that's part of the draw where I'm sure like promoters. And again, these people are, they're just trying to make money, right? They're throwing these events or they yeah. have these parties or they have these clubs or whatever. <laughs> All they care about is making money. Can you bring people in through the door in, into the door? And I think part of the appeal is like the novelty is like, is this, Guy, is that the friggin' the TV guy? All right, you do this. All right, come on in. And as long as you do a decent job, I think that's like, hey, we'd like to have you back. So yeah, that's that's kind of what it's are, been are like. You getting, yeah. Are you getting paid for this? Just don't give me yeah. the number. Okay, good. Yeah. If you get a little yeah. money it's, out of this, is, I'm fine. It's, for it. it's, it's fine. It, I I said I don't need to make any money off this. I don't right. need to make it. But you have to pay me, even if it's the lowest possible amount, which Correct. it is, yeah. and I'm fine with that. You just have to pay me so that I feel like I'm a professional at doing this at some capacity. A thousand percent. I, I think you get to a point in life where just nothing happens pro bono. Like, just cover the Uber and the food. Chris Rivieso, who's a great producer at ESPN, he doesn't listen to the pod, but Lem does. So Lem will tell him I shout him out. He calls last week. Immediately, I'm terrified. Well, what could this possibly be? And we text him there. He calls. He goes, hey, I, I teach at Marist. I'd love to have you come up. I'm like, yeah. He goes, I can throw you a few bucks. I'm like, listen, I'm like an old private eye. Private dick, as he used to say. $200 <laughs> plus expenses. You can just, just cover my gas and you feed me. Then I feel like we're good to go. You just throw me an honorarium. If I do it for That's free, it. then I go, I, I, time is valuable. Yeah. Like, I got and, and honor, an honorarium is the right way to do it. It's like, yeah, like yeah. the old gumshoe basically yeah just give it just make yeah take care just as long as i don't let it cost me money that's all as long as it doesn't cost me money yeah i'm perfectly happy doing going to a college or go you know whatever you want me to do i'm happy to do that stuff just don't make it cost me anything that's 100 percent the way to go all right we got the house music out of the way well i will do some other stuff with adam i do want to get his thoughts and maybe a little bit of the football season just how much he travels to i've never i I, we need to discuss more about your flying because as you know i'm not great on planes i don't know how the hell you fly as much as you do i would just be losing my mind and then and like i know you're constructive so i know you're probably on there you're doing your laptop you're listening to music but i'm like i just i can't wait to get off the plane how do you you think how do you think i've listened to almost every episode like i have one episode (laughs) that i haven't listened to right of cinephile how do you think i've listened to all these episodes they're all on planes it's it's my it's the perfect plane plane listening uh, experience. Yeah, you are definitely constructive on the plan. I could see you being that guy. You you get on yeah. that plan, you have a system down, what food to eat, what drink you're getting, when your laptop's sure. open, I'm like, yep, you're getting stuff done. Do you still have your phone? Because now, remember before you turn your phone, it's a great time to turn off. Yeah, all I, I put on your plane, I listen to a podcast, I have my headphones in, and then it's yeah. just, all right, I, I'll get the internet on my on my laptop, and I'll just start doing my work, whatever my normal process of, of, of preparing is. It's basically an office 
hour right. for me or office hours when I'm up in the air. So I have a flight to Houston on Thursday yeah. as we get ready for, you know, division series. I'll, that will be two and a half to, to, you know, two to two and a half hours of just, I'll get stuff done and I'll get a lot of reading done on that flight and I'll take a lot of notes and that'll be part of the prep process this week. But you take a plane 200 times a year. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I mean, it's, it's, it's closing now. The, what's nice is it's working for the bulls. Like the other part of it is those flights are like on the chartered team plane. Mm-hmm. That's a luxurious experience relative to anything I've ever flown. On. I've never flown on a private jet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to, because I think I'll just get spoiled because the first time I flew on a chartered flight, I got spoiled because they feed you and there's, you know, unlimited drinks, uh, you know, like, in, like any Gatorade, any water, any Coke you want. Like it's there, they have food, they have snacks, they have ice cream at the end of the flight. Like right. you just get spoiled and you have a comfortable chair and free internet and all that stuff. So it makes travel a lot easier when you are on like the team plane for 35 times, 70, you know, maybe 70 times total out of the year. But yeah, there's still like a hundred some odd commercial flights that I'm taking more often than not. So ever flown with somebody who's claustrophobic? I, I can't confirm it, but like it, they seem like they are. They seem like they can, they keep jittery. You know, they're very jittery and they keep looking around left and right. That it feels like they have a claustrophobic issue right there. I've never gone, I've never like turned to them and be like, Hey, are you and like get into their face and be like, Hey, are you claustrophobic? Like close talk to them. I've never done that before. But that's something to be stiffer. Look around, just seeing someone looks a little bit rattled. Like they look a little yeah. nerve. You're like, like they're just, just like, yeah, like they, they're looking left and right. And it's like, Oh, this person is not going to do well for the next three hours. So. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. All right, The Irishman. So I rewatched it again when I was back home visiting my folks. And as I said a brief snippet the other week, I said, you know, I, I think it's so great. And it's still, it doesn't feel like people appreciate it enough. And then I went back in my mental catalog of texts. Like, I don't know. Amin loves The Irishman as much as I did. I'm like, he loved it. Right out of the gate, you were like instant classic. And I think most people watched it and probably said, it was okay. It was good. It's a little long. I didn't like the CGI. They look so old now. Been there, done that. Like, this is some of the criticisms that I heard. And then it got 10 Oscar nominations, I believe, an 0 for 10. Over De Niro was snubbed. Um, you know, there was, you know, I think mixed reviews sounds hard, but I think it got definitely got critical consensus. Like, it's probably 90% Rotten Tomatoes. But if just you and I in conversation, if you, you're just talking with friends, you mentioned The Irishman, you're going to hear some of the stuff I just said. And you and I watch him or go, incredible film. And, and, I, yeah. and I love the fact when I briefly mentioned it, I knew you loved it when I came up four years ago. But even when I re mentioned it, you're like, dude, 10 years from people are going to say 
this is a classic film. So let, let's get into the fact you and I love it and appreciate it so much. What is it just out of the gate, broad strokes that you think this film will stand the test of time? I think the writing's great. All right. Like these are the, 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 the Steve's aliens known for just great scripts in general. Like he's, he's been nominated. He's won Academy Awards. He did the night of, which you, I know you love. Yes. We're big, both big Riz Ahmed fans. Like he mm. was the writer for that. Like he's had just an incredible filmography over the last, you know, 20 years. The guy was part of mission impossible. Like going back to, which I think I, I watched rewatched mission impossible recently. Cause I was like, Oh, it's a, I didn't realize Zalian was involved in this too. And yeah. it's a great script. Like it's, it's, it's fun. Quick. The Palma one he the wrote? Diploma, that's the De Palma yeah. one. Apparently he was like he oh. was part of the story. He was the story writer for that one. Oh. So, you know, he was he wrote the story for Schindler's List. He did Searching for Bobby Fisher, Clear and Present Danger, Gangs of New York. Which I know yes. didn't didn't get, you know, the same critical and commercial love that you know, I, I think a lot of people put it a little bit lower on the Scorsese list. Yep. But like still, that's that's a that's a great script. And Daniel Day Lewis is phenomenal in the movie. Uh he's done Moneyball, which is one of my favorite scripts ever. Anytime you're ever involved with Sorkin, at least older Sorkin. Uh, I've always been a fan of that. So this guy's got a track record for great writing. And I think the way it's been adapted, the uh, the book, I uh, I know you paint houses, mm-hmm. uh, the way it was adapted for screen and how it was adjusted for the actors themselves, I thought was great. So the writing for me is really good. It helps the pacing for me. So let's get uh, into some of the great writing examples. One of them is before Jimmy gets whacked, that entire exchange about the fish. Like yeah. amazing. A lesser movie wouldn't have said they go no, no, cut to the chase. They've got this entire non sequitur about what kind of fish is there. Jesse Plummet's picking up fish. The car smells like fish. Um, that whole exchange is great. When 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 he first meets Kaitel, when De Niro meets Kaitel, and he says, "You know, who owns that place." He goes, "I do." He goes, who? "I do." No, no, who? no, I no, don't. No, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean I know who do. I mean I do. And the way he's like, you know, I can I can talk to Beans. He was like, that's not going to be necessary. Like those are a couple of good examples of the writing, and even. The most famous line from it, I think, in many ways, is it's what it is. You and I know most people would say it is what it is. Zalian just adjusts it just a little bit because it's what it is, which I think is yeah. such a clever way of turning it a little bit and making it unique to that. There's a few examples of the writing that I love from the movie. The scene between De Niro and Pesci, when they go to the restaurant for the first time, this is the night, I think this is the scene where Ray Romano, after he gets De Niro's character off of, of his, uh, his case yeah. uh, for stealing the meat and all that stuff, he takes him out to a restaurant. He re-meets uh, Russell. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah we had the, we, you helped me fix my truck and all that stuff. Yeah. That, they all sit down together at one point, and they're splitting the bread. They're breaking bread. They're dipping it in the wine. And they all of a sudden just start speaking in oh, Italian. Right. Yeah, that's right. And when, when De Niro does the Italian stuff, and he's talking about being scared when, when he was in the war, you know, it's, don't let anybody tell you that they're not afraid. You pray. You pray a lot. Just the exchange between these two guys and – I think Pesci's phenomenal. We can talk about Pesci's performance as well, but I, I think that set the tone for me. When I saw that scene, and there was some good stuff beforehand, and Romano, the way he's playing it, it's like, hey, come on, <laughs> did you do it? You know, they, they, everybody's playing it well. So I think the actors really bring out the kind of subtleties of it. But when you get to that scene and they're speaking in Italian to each other and talking about, you know, the the fear that he had, and he starts to stutter through some of these lines and, and you can kind of sense that anytime he talks about killing, which is a theme throughout the movie, he stutters yeah. anytime he's talking about doing something horrible or doing something illegal or having to do, having to commit murder yeah. uh, when he's got to go paint a house. Like he, when he starts talking about, it, he starts to stutter the way it's written out. And these scenes between Pesci and De Niro in particular, they're so well-written the exchange in the prison between Stephen Graham is such a great character yeah. actor, but this is a beyond character actor performance. This is a lead, a lead type of performance. Their scenes together are so fast 
angry. The misunderstandings lead to other misunderstandings, but you stay in it because you've had those same misunderstandings. There's so much good writing in this that it helps me with the pace. And I think it actually counteracts some of the silent scenes because there's a lot of quiet time in this movie. I think that's one of the reasons it feels so long because there are, there are a lot of quiet moments, but I think the, the quick paced writing helps counteract some of those quiet moments. And I think it makes them more effective in the actual visuals that you see. And you really lock in on the faces and, you know, we, you and I talked about this four years ago, Anna Paquin doesn't have a lot of lines in this movie, Mm. but the fact that the camera is stuck on her, when she says to her dad, like, why haven't, why haven't you called Jimmy's wife? Yeah. Like just the the way she says it, the plain spoken way, like that, that's a no brainer. Why would you wait to do that? And De Niro's stutter. And as he's given that speech, as he's talking to Joe, is fantastic. Those spoons, um, individual scenes. So I think, I've seen the film, as you know, three times in theaters, and I rewatched it again start to finish. But I've seen, you mentioned Tony Pro. The scene with Pacino and Tony Pro and De Niro and my guy Patrick Gallo, who, as you know, was great on Cinephile. Because I, yep. I remember watching it with my buddy Hussein. I go, you know who's great in this scene? He goes, Pacino. I go, no, no. He goes, Stephen Gray. I go, no. De Niro. I go, this guy. Patrick yep. Gallo is so good in that scene because he can't overplay. He's with the scene with Pacino and De Niro. But the way he's like, right in the middle, beautiful. Yeah. I said that, that scene <laughs> again. The writing of it is so good. The picture goes, "You're late." Even the way he mimics, like looking at his wife, "You're late." He's like, and the way Tony Pro's like, "Traffic is like, ten minutes for traffic." Yeah, yeah. You do the ten. They do the ten versus twenty or a conversation, or <laughs> ten versus fifteen minute conversation, twelve and a half. Right, the beautiful, beautiful. They these these light moments that that come about a third of the way through the movie. Maybe right. maybe a quarter of the way through the movie as it gets lighter with these characters. They, it, it's phenomenal, and and. You feel the tension because you've right. probably been in a room with two people who don't like each other very much, and you're right. trying to get them on the same page. And you can tell that they're looking for spots to jab each other. And I right. feel like the spacing of all this is so really it, it's so yeah. very very well done. I'll apologize when you apologize for your slur. What yeah. slur? You people. You people. You people's a slur. Yeah. <laughs> I'll apologize for that when you apologize <laughs> for being late. I'm like it's so funny. <laughs> Um, I think the single greatest sequence, if someone said to me, okay, something in the Irish might say, well, watch the Frank Sheeran retirement dinner. You get to have, you, it's insane. You get to have Pesci Pacino. And Pesci's yeah. just so calm and so understood. Some people, not me, some people think there's a lack of appreciation. And the way Al goes, a lack of appreciation? I did five fucking years I went to school. <laughs> like he's blowing up. And Pesci, yeah. some people, not me, some people. Not and he, and he keeps reiterating that. It's like something, and you can tell, it's like he, he's, all this is is just trying to soft sell everything yes. to Pacino, to Hoffa, to try to convince him right. to step down. And he's trying to stay in every like I love the Pesci character because he's trying to play middleman for all of his business interests, right? Every, everything is a business for him. He gets a cut of everything. They talk about that when he's doing the pipe and drape thing and he's talking about his business. That, you know, the whole trip with De Niro and the and the wives and him, they're just stopping at places and getting what they're owed on the way to Detroit. So yeah. the fact that he's trying to play this so calmly, I think it's subtle. It's, it's some of his best acting. That scene, again, where they're breaking bread and eating together and drinking wine is amazing. And then the callback to it when they're both older and he doesn't have teeth anymore. <laughs> and he, you know, it's grape juice and, and whatever stale loaf of bread they have in the back. Yeah. And that's a great he, point by you that it's a callback. I didn't realize that. You're right. That's calling back that verse scene. You're right. That's good. Yeah, and, he, and De Niro even says, bon, huh? Like he's talking about how yeah. good the bread is, right? And they're they're laughing about yeah. it just the way you would with your buddies. You make the same jokes that you did when you when you were younger. And right. that scene where he comes to the realization, like, I never wanted it to get to that point. And you right. understand you there's no the best villains, and I'm using that term loosely in quotes, 
the best villains are the ones where you go, I understand why they're doing this. You know, yeah. like these are all bad guys. They all do bad things. But mm-hmm. the ones that you sympathize with or understand why, like you understand that Robert De Niro's character feels awful that he's about to kill Jimmy Hoffa. And you know that he's going to deal with the, the emotional consequences of his family. And you mentioned the scene where he's talking to Hoffa's wife, Joe, and, and you know, he, you can tell he's like, he doesn't know how to lie to her and he's really having a hard time with it. But Pesci at the end, when he's like, I never wanted it to come to that point. The, when, when he explains to De Niro, like, you're going to have to go do this. The, the plans have changed. You're going to go to Detroit. You're going to go get flown here. You're going to pick up the car. And you're, there's, you have no yeah. other choice. The way he and says, it, there's been a change. There's been a change. And, at the, and, you, and you're like, I don't want this to happen. And at the end, he goes, I chose us over him. Yeah. And you realize that all he wanted, even when he gives him the ring, you're my kid. He's treating him like the son that he doesn't have. He says, I can't have children to De Niro's character. I think at the bowling alley, right? Yeah, yeah, when he's, yep. And he's trying so hard to warm up to De Niro's daughter. And, and at Christmas, he's like, no, it's okay. She doesn't have to say thank you. You can <laughs> tell how much it hurts him because yeah. of how subtle, subtly Pesci, this wild character that we've, we've come to know for 40 years, how he typically acts it's so far away from what he what we're used to i just think it's some of the most brilliant acting he's ever done in his entire career amen to that i think when you people walked out there they said okay de niro pacino again together it's uh in some ways as good as heat certainly much better than righteous kill but but pesci is the revelation because i guess you did never seen him you haven't seen him in years like, he, he doesn't like acting yeah. he just wants to golf and smoke cigars so he just looks old and frail and thin and like you said he was just so calm and, and it was i agree it was amazing especially that juxtaposition with al so you go from the sheeran so you got Alan Pesci, then you go Pesci De Niro. And as you said, it's it's the most delicate scene of the movie. The way he says, Hey, get look at this. Only three people have this ring. And you know, look how I made you, look how strong I made you. You know, like you said, yeah. that that paternal relationship. And that's where he drops it's what it is. And the way De Niro's that the realization, he's like, you know, this fucking guy, try talking to me, he doesn't understand it. He's like, you know, it is what it is. So then you got them together. Then you get to get De Niro Pacino together. Like it's like bam, bam, bam. And that sequence is amazing just because Pacino is just so prideful, right? And it's the way that De Niro's like, hey, you know, it's it's what it is. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, he goes, they wouldn't dare. They wouldn't dare. He's like, I got files. Anything happens to me, they're done. It's so he goes, actually, you should get security. You should get some people on him. Like, no, Jimmy, like, how do I explain this to him? And the way they both play that scene. And again, Scorsese doesn't over direct it. It's just over the shoulders, back and forth. Great music. There's Stevie Van Zant singing by yeah. great, great, beautiful song that he's singing in the background. That whole sequence is incredible. I just love how it's so clear in the again, it goes back to the writing as well. These are three prideful, principled for their profession, for their line of work, so to speak. They're three principled people. Mm. And Pesci is trying very hard not to he none of these guys want to see what's about to take place. Right? De Niro doesn't want it. Pesci doesn't want it, but they have no choice. And you understand why. Pesci, when they have that scene at the, you know, at breakfast at their motel or hotel or whatever, and they're, oh, the cornflakes, you know, they, let me give me some of the sugar. And it's like, they're talking yeah, by about the way, this. You mentioned the bread scene in the cereal. My friend, Michael Lombardi, he just loves the scene prior to that where Pesci's making the salad. He goes, I just want this guy to make a salad. Oh, the Catania olives and all this. <laughs> the best. He, goes, the he best. just goes in the back, just making salad. This yeah, is unbelievable. They, so they just know the guy. So he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, come on back. Well, come on back and, and make your salad back here. He's making it himself. So, which is great. It makes me hungry. This movie does make me hungry. But like that, the next scene when when they're talking about what what is going to take place, and he doesn't want to do it, but he you understand why the whole movie 
with Hoffa. I, I love Pacino's portrayal of Hoffa because like, like Jack Nicholson did Hoffa, right? He right. did the movie in the night. Like I think it was early nineties. It was, wasn't that good. It didn't right. really feel like it, it registered. It didn't really give me the sense of how larger than life Hoffa as a, as a person was like, they say it. That's how they introduce him. Anybody who's anybody knew who Jimmy Hoffa was. He was more famous than the president, basically. Mm-hmm. So the way he portrays it as this, this gregarious, yet volatile, dangerous, sharp-thinking person, he's very prideful. And you want so badly for him to make the right decision because you don't want anything bad to happen to him because he's funny. You see how he interacts with Peggy. Uh, yeah. and, and how, how loving he is as like a, an uncle figure, basically, and how charming he is. And, right. and that when must he piss gets, off yeah. Pesci, too. Like you said, Peggy wants something to do, but she loves Jimmy. Jimmy she loves Jimmy again. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. Well, and, and, and you can probably, you'll probably see it in Frank, too. And it's like, well, my daughter doesn't care this much about me, so at least I have somebody that she, she leans to and, and likes and appreciates. So all of yeah. us are together. And I just love the portrayal of it because you want so badly for Pacino to not make the wrong decision. And right. you know that what he's doing is wrong and it's going to pay, you know, poor dividends eventually, especially because we know the story of Hoffa and we know what's going to happen to him. But it's so well played. I, I love the interactions, the, the subtlety the, of, of Pesci, the quiet, scared demeanor of De Niro and this large, gregarious personality of Pacino. I think they fit so well into these parts and the interactions uh, in these scenes between them are just are just wonderfully done. Uh, they're they're on a on a different level, and then everybody around them, I feel like, does a really strong job. As as typically you get in ensemble Scorsese movies, you're always getting these peripheral characters that add something to to the whole jambalaya here. More Pacino dinner in a second, but more on the jambalaya. How good is the guy who plays Fat Tony? The way he tells Pesci at the retirement dinner, he's like, the way he is smoking that cigar and scrunches his face. Uh, there's a great scrunch by Pesci, too, when, when De Niro is kind of fighting for him there. And he kind of gives this, he's, he crinkles the nose. Just, not like that. I, I love, like, that is such a great all-time crinkling of the nose by Pesci. Not like that. But this guy does, like, a scrunch, and he's like, you know what he said? He's going to roll back. And then when he, goes, he said that, he said, he said, he said that, he said that basically that he's not going to give kickbacks to these guys anymore. He's like, all the rollbacks are done. He's like, when he takes control of the union, like we're dead, he's cutting out the wise guys. The the way fat though, he's selling him on that is so good. I picture like just reiterating like, huh, like, we, we got a problem here. Like we, we got to take out Jimmy here. He's the one of those supporting characters. Like, oh, this guy's fantastic. Well, I, I love this too. Cause we, you, we've had, 30 years basically of mob movies uh, and, and even going back to the Godfather, but I think more so in the, in the Scorsese era, we've had, you know, 30 or 40 years of these, of these mafia movies where, and, and the Sopranos as well, which is a, yeah. basically a direct stat, you know, child of that entire you know run of movies oh. where you kind of get the, it's almost a trope at this point, but how the mafia talks, right. They kind of talk in, in these like hidden meanings and they, nobody ever says exactly what, what, what they mean, but, you kind of understand what they mean because the you know ramifications of what's happened before and the, the context of the consequences. So we have all this time with this language and with this cadence of mafia talk, right? So when you're like, well, reiterate to them, you know, let them know. It, it may not be the strongest language, but we know exactly what this is escalating towards. We know that what's at the end of the line is somebody's going to get killed. Somebody's going to get taken out, whacked, as, as, as we like to say in the parlance. So I, I love that. They use the mannerisms, certainly the look of of 
uh, Tony Jack, like the fat Tony is just, he's, he looks perfect for the part, right? right? He just looks like he belongs in that part, smoking a cigarette, scrunching his face and questioning everything right. that's taking place. You know, Bo Deedle's character is hilarious. Bo Deedle, in this. So you know, Bo like, Deedle I love. Just... Thanks for bringing up Bo Deedle. So that, that's, I had forgotten until I watched it again. I got, that is so funny. You know what? Jimmy hates scene. watermelon. Yeah. And the way he <laughs> just stabs a watermelon with the booze. And then the way Pacino says, you guys sure like watermelon. Like, yeah, I want to buy it. Want to buy these? He's, he's clearly playing it so drunk. And it's like, yeah, Jimmy doesn't like watermelon, but you and me are going to like watermelon. Like, just he, he's already playing it so, so outlandishly. And I just, I, I just love, I love it so much. Cannavale. Cannavale yes. is great at Skinny Razor, playing right. it perfectly. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. The, the, you're going to pay. Tomorrow. Yeah. Skinny, the like, even, yeah like the, the hair looks hilarious. When they first meet him, yeah. it's like, uh, I, I, uh, you know, I saw, I could, I could, I could bring you steak. Could you? Do you? Would you? Like, it's just the, the Cannavale is so great in this, you know, and, and I, I just really like the periphery of all this too. Even, you know, the guy, the guy plays, uh, whispers, the other whispers, you know, that whispers with the other whispers, uh, you know, like I, I, I like how he plays everything. Maniscalco is out of his mind yes. as Joe Joe Gallo, crazy Joe Gallo. Get the fuck out of here and all this. <laughs> this is a, I, I think the 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 Departed to me is a, kind of like a greatest hits of the hmm. first twenty to twenty five years of Scorsese. Right? It's right. Uh, you know the way it's shot. Oh, he's got you know this the the zoom in from uh, you know like a black screen. You zoom in right. to the, Irish the small shot. thing that 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 yeah yeah the the lens shot the iris shot. Like it's a lot of the greatest hits. You know, he plays b- b- the Dropkick Murphy song stones. three times. He has the Stones right. for multiple times. Uh, this to me is not that. This yeah. is the next phase of that, where this is a culmination of all of these tools, the actors that he seemingly has known so well and has come to know so well, and is developing and growing with them as well. I just think it's a culmination of a lot of the skills, the tools, the storytelling. Uh, obviously the technology and he used that to his advantage. The, we talked about the technology when we talked about this movie, when it came out, it, it's a little jarring initially, especially mm-hmm. when you first see De Niro and you're like, Oh wow, that's young De Niro. And it doesn't jive with how he's moving. Right. He, he's not moving yeah. like a young guy, even though he looks like it, but I think it's just, you, you get past that very quickly if you're watching this. And I think it's a, it's a combination and culmination of just all the skill and technology and advances that he's come up with or as uh, as adap- adapted to over the course of the you know 40 years of being in this. Yeah, it's the thing for Scorsese. He's a guy who's a real technical wizard, even though you don't think of him like that. You might think of a Spielberg or a Lucas, but when, of course, he's very close to both those guys. When George Lucas toured Gangs in New York, those beautiful set, Chinachita sets where when he's shot, Lucas said to him like, Marty, I could have done this for you. Like, you know, give me a hundred million dollars. I can, you know, spruce it all up. So it's like, he's, he's always appreciated technology in the way that he could, do this because he said, listen, I can't have these guys with like tennis balls in front of them doing the blue screens, but if they're going to act, they're going to act. We can do it. It's going to take four different cameras and it's a very expensive, but we can do it. Otherwise, there's no point having a, a young De Niro and all the rest of that. So it's a credit yeah. to Marty. He was able to do that. But I, I'm with you. I think it was either Rebecca Keegan or Christy Lemire who called it Scorsese's Unforgiven. I said, it's amazing. They said like it's a reckoning. It's a career culmination for a guy who made wise guy movies better than anybody. This isn't necessarily apology for it, but this is basically saying, hey, it's not as glamorous as one might think. And 
the great Ben Lyons, he said to him, well, then we went to a different level. And he goes, I liked it a lot. And then I loved it was the three hour mark. He goes, yeah. that that 25 minutes, because to me, that yeah. should be taught in film schools everywhere. He said, when you see De Niro as a frail old man, he goes, that's Marty saying, hey, listen, I know you think this lifestyle was cool and Goodfellas jazzed you all up. And you all want to make movies. But this is the reality. This is cold and it's sad and it's heartbreaking. And you still have empathy for a guy who was a killer. But the, like those sequences of that took a lot of guts because that's where you could just wrap up the movie. Right. Pesci gets wheeled yeah. away. I'm going to church. But that's the stuff that kind of gives it a little bit more extra oomph, I think. Yeah, some of the guys that I know you you always uh, reference. So Owen Gleiberman was talking about how right. this is like a long form knockout, right? Like, like yeah. you need to get to that to that final thirty minutes to to really feel the impact of it because there is so much buildup and it 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 is a great arc. You know, I, I feel like um, I, I went back and watched Goodfellas and and that last you know hour when he's on drugs and he's got him on his way out. Basically, it's yeah. so frenetic and the way it's shot, it's so frenetic. So it's a very up and down movie. You know, when when Tommy kills Michael Imperioli's character, when he kills Spider, it's just a very up and down movie. You're dragged up and you're dropped down. You're dragged up and you're dropped down. This is a very gradual, long, as, as Gleiberman said, it's perfect. A long form knockout to get you to the finish line. And I do, listen, I can appreciate that three and a half hours is a long movie. I, I get that. I'm not uh, numb to that fact. And I do at times, now that I've seen the movie, you know, all the way through probably five times mm -hmm. i've also gone back and just watched scenes or i've gone back and just watched sequences uh i thought i i wanted to google it i wanted to see if somebody had actually broken this down because i do think this if, if you're not if this isn't enough of a sell of me and adnan talking about just like the performances and the writing and all that understandable screen rant at least the, the article i found it was the first one that i found they did a great breakdown of how to cut this up if you want to turn this into a mini series, I think there's a great way to do this. So I, I brought it up. Uh, it's on my phone. And I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. Yeah. The first episode one, they broke it down to say, I heard you paint houses. It's the first 49 minutes of the movie. Before and Jimmy shows up. It's right. The right at the end of it is when Jimmy is on the phone okay. and you oh. first see Pacino. So the first yes. episode would end when, I heard good you talk houses. To you. Yeah, right, good yeah. to talk to you. Good to meet you, even if it's over the phone. And, and I <laughs> love you know, the I, accent. Yeah. He, he goes, I heard you paint houses. Do you want to be a part of this history? Yes, I do, sir. And the last line is, I thought I was talking to General Patton. Right. <laughs> and he's like that. Like you get this great like cut right there yes. to the next scene where, you know, now he's going, he's on his way to Chicago and everything. The second right. episode is when you go through solidarity. It's Hoffa. It's it's the big speeches. It's going to Chicago. It's getting to know each other. All that's great. Right. So you end right there. That's, you know, uh, that's basically another 50 minutes. So you have 50 minutes, 50 minutes. The third one. Now you're getting into like the banquet scene. Uh, you're going to go all the way through when Pesci and Hoffa talk when De Niro or Pesci and Pacino talk when De Niro and Pacino talk. And, you know, that's the it's what it is. You get to the end of that banquet when. Hoffa's like, it's my union. And then he goes and dances yeah. with De Niro's daughter, with, with Anna Paquin. And you see that shot of De Niro just, yeah, oh, no, I know what I'm going to have to do. And he's in this nice suit, and it's this big party for him, but he's internally struggling. You end it there. That's episode three. That's 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then you go the last 65 minutes is basically your finale. And you go all the way to the end. You get that last 30 minutes of just heartbreak and reflection and contemplativeness and you, you get to the end where you know 
like, yeah, this is going to be the end of his life. And I think those are four great splits. I thought Screen Rant did a great job. And I went yeah. back and kind of <clears throat> looked at the cuts and I was like, this is really good. I think this is a great way to absorb this. If you can't sit through the, the whole stretch of it, I get it. It's a great way to divide this up because I think the writing's too good to not try to see how all this gets sequenced together and the callbacks that you get in that that final seat, that, that final 30 minutes are just incredible. I think it's really well done. Yeah, and part of that, of course, the big the big buildup and the climax is when Jimmy gets whacked. I just think that's so good the way that De Niro originally drives by, sees Jimmy waiting, which he knows yeah. Jimmy's insane about punctuality. Yep. Then he's going to go back. And the way that Pacino's like, what, what are you doing here? Like, he kind of just quizzical look on his face but once he sees frank everything changes and yeah. frank's not a guy who smiles the way he smiles is jimmy he's frank yeah. like what are you doing he's like oh. and the way that pacino plays it so the way he kind of pauses like well oh, right. like i guess if frank's here then i can't be frank's that. here then it's okay because right. that's the trust that's been built up and, right. and, and even his explanation you're you can tell like frank sheeran did not want to have to lie to jimmy oh. and he did he's like oh well you know i i was here we changed the plans and i forgot i forgot i'm the one right. who forgot i should have well, you right, really Jimmy's should've like, should've he, exactly. Jimmy's like, you should have called. Like, he, he still chastises in a play. we like, hey, this is on you. Like, you should have called me. He's like, no, you're right, Jimmy. You're right. Gives him that hug. He's like, yeah, you're right. Then we have the whole fish sequence, which is again a hilarious way to to to, to put levity in the situation. And then the the whacking is just so yeah. cold. Well, the the build up to that too with uh, with Sally Bugs, another good, good Sally Bugs, character. great character actor. Yes, it, 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 it's, it's a great part. But oh, like does. every time anybody's getting into the backseat of a car, which again. You don't necessarily need to know why or know exactly who these characters are to know getting in the back seat of a car while you're sitting in the front is, you know, there, there's some, there's a play there, right? We've seen the Godfather yeah. where if a guy's in the front seat, you better be careful. Cause if somebody's behind you and they got a gun, they're going to shoot you or they're going to yeah. garrot, you know, they're going to get the garroted out and, right. and you know, <laughs> choke you to death or all yeah. that. So yeah, we, we've seen it in Godfather. We've seen it in Goodfellas. We've seen the casino. We've seen in all these movies, and it's not more contextualized, you know, mafia language, so to speak, and the visuals, the characters are great. I really do think it's one of those movies that will get better over time. I think it will age very well, and it is a timeless movie. There's no, you know, mm. the technology isn't, you know, we're not caught up in the technology of it. We're caught up in the history and the nostalgia of it, and it's beautifully shot. The music is phenomenal. You know, these, these get, still soft the guitar. All-time great song. Open All-time the movie great with that song. Yeah. Close with it. 95% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes. So rave reviews, 86% audience score, still very good, despite some quibbles you may have seen on social media. 10 Oscar nominations, unfortunately, went 0 for 10. But I'm with Adam. It will only grow in stature over time, and people that really love movies and appreciate movies will appreciate what a great film this is. Any closing thoughts on The Irishman? Anything we didn't get to you'd like to mention? Man, I... I... I just think it's it's a it's wonderfully done. I think Romano's great. You know, I, I, there's I, I don't I don't want to undersell. There's so many good people that you can mention in this, and I'm sure we forgot somebody. But I just think it's one of Scorsese's best. I'm, I can't wait. You know, we're obviously getting into the first week of October when we're recording this, so uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is is about to come out. I know some people have already raved about it when they when it was open a can, and yeah. I I'm, I'm almost finished with with the book with the David nice. Grant novel, and it's I just think it's it's incredible. Like the the, the creation of the FBI to try to steal money from Native yeah. Americans is is a horrifying premise, but an incredible one to want to want to read about and see on screen. I think it's going to be a, a very enjoyable picture. Yeah. New York Film Festival already premiered rave reviews so far. So people are saying it's clearly one of the year's best, one of Marty's best. I mean, 10th movie with De Niro, 6th with DiCaprio is incredible. Uh, Adam Mean does a phenomenal job. Make sure you listen to him and support him. Watch him on the series. Hopefully Astros Jays. <laughs> he's getting back to Toronto for me. He'll, he'll be my proxy with a little chicken biryani at Absolutely. my parents' house. 
And uh, NFL course, you and Mark Schlereth calling games. What'd you call this weekend? I was at the, I went and took my kids to the Eagles game. What'd you call this weekend? Uh, Cincinnati, Tennessee. So uh, mm, rough, rough, go, rough go for the Bengals. You know, Joe Burrow's having some some trouble moving around, and yeah. Tennessee is a little better maybe uh, than we gave him credit for the first couple of weeks. And your beloved Bears, you're a total pro, so I know you can distance yourself. But uh, while at the game, I checked, I'm like, oh, my brother's a Bears fan. Bears are up. And I'm like, oh my God, Broncos came back. This yeah. They were, they were foaming at the mouth in Chicago for the, for the coaching staff, and, and you know, whether it was Fields last week or the coaching staff this week, there's uh, there's plenty of uh, of blame to go around, as you might imagine. Eberflus, and of course the uh, the voice of the Chicago Bulls. When is I'm still all baseball. When is NBA game one? Is it October 25th? Sometime 25th. There? Yep, you nailed it. 25th yeah. is opening night for us on a, on a okay. Wednesday night, and then uh, we get we get the wraps at a, in Chicago game two, right nice. uh, right out of the gate. So okay. we'll uh, I'll miss I'll miss one of the trips to Toronto. For uh, for for other stuff, and then I'm going to miss another one because it's a, a TNT game. So I, I actually don't think I'm going to get made by way to Scotia Bank, unfortunately this nah, uh, this season. But uh, who knows? How many who knows what did you call last year? Seventy five? Uh, seventy. Yeah, like sixty eight, something like that. So sixty eight out of the eighty two, pretty pretty solid number to be able to hit. So. <laughs> It's unbelievable. He's a, uh, obviously a very, very hard worker and a huge talent, like I said. Anybody ask me, I need one person to call a game, I'm calling Adam Amin. I mean, for God's sakes, people miss you on wrestling. Like Jerry Daniels misses <laughs> you calling wrestling. Like, Listen, if, if you were calling WWE, we would have been fine. I should have had you proxy. <laughs> Phil would have been good to go. J- JD is JD, the best. Anytime anytime he, we pop up on one of his TVs, he'll take a photo and send it over. So I love Jerry, man. One of the all-time greats. Adam Amin, again, support him. Check out his Instagram. You can see him uh, getting his Armin Van Buren on. And uh, he also great, takes a lot of- Great drop. Great Armin Van Buren drop right there, too. One of the, one of the great trans <laughs> artists of all time. Oh, this is great. Thanks, brother. And thank you for supporting the Irishman as much as I do. I, I Seriously, I Absolutely. love the fact you're as into it as I am. Great job. Thanks, buddy. Thanks once again to Adam Amin of Fox Sports. Guy does an unbelievable job, not only at his jobs at Fox, but also as the voice of the Bulls and checking his house music. Go to Adam Amin on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. We've got some authors coming up, baby, in a couple of weeks. And the next book I'm going to read is about Scarface. We have that author coming out in a couple of weeks as well. So lots of great movies coming down the pike. And of course, the countdown continues till Killers of the Flower Moon just had its New York City premiere. Rave reviews off the charts. Marty's latest. We got you covered here in the Cinephile. And Chris Cody will return next week as well. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. 